0: Nova. Hi, I'm Dee Woods of Nova Lunch Break Weekdays 1 to 3. We like to have special guests in studio when we can. And Ross O'Carroll Kelly, creator, journalist and author Paul Howard, dropped in for a chat. What a lovely fella. And such interesting things to say from the last two decades of writing Ross O'Carroll Kelly in the newspaper and having his plays on stage at the Gaiety. By the way, the latest Postcards from the Ledge is coming back for a week due to phenomenal demand. Over the next 20 minutes or so, Paul and I talk, Ross O'Carroll Kelly of course, how he lives in his head and what will become of him in the end. Is the end nigh? As well as the Irish writer who inspired Paul to get started on all this and the cheesiest Christmas song conversation ever. Enjoy. Thanks for coming Pleasure in. Pleasure to be here. What a year 2017 has been for you. Well, congratulations on Postcards from the Ledge having a, another run coming yeah. next year. It's been another phenomenally successful play for you.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm delighted it's coming back because um, I really want more people to see it, you know. And um, the, the first run was... Uh, I mean, it couldn't have gone better, you know. Rory Nolan uh, playing Ross O'Carroll oh, Kelly—he's just born for this role, and I say <laughs> is that. Is that a
0: compliment? I'm not sure. <laughs> uh,
1: I mean, I say that as someone who I have Ross's he- voice in my head every hour of every day when I'm writing mm. Ross, and I see. Rory Nolan as Ross. That when I'm writing Ross I see and hear Rory Nolan. Um nobody could play the part like Rory does and you know it's t- it's 10 years since he first played Ross on the stage and I I just couldn't even I couldn't imagine anybody else doing it. Mm-hmm. So um we're we're really lucky to still have him because he's a very very successful actor. He does I was going to say he does good stuff apart from mine you know
0: <laughs> it's not too bad but, other places yeah. you know he
1: does I mean, he, do, he does comedy so well and he, you know he, he's a real talent but I mean he does serious stuff. you know he does yeah. I've seen him do Shakespeare and Oscar Wilde I've seen him do opera I've seen him do uh, Brecht I've seen him do all sorts of stuff and you know he's he's in God uh, waiting for Godot he has been in it recently and he's going back on tour with it next year um, so we are so fortunate uh, that 10 years on um, he still happy to play Ross or Carl Kelly Does he
0: play him or is he just him at this stage? I mean I remember when he was here he was here for Breaking Dad it was ages yeah. ago and he just kind of clicked into the role and the, and the one eyebrow went up and he kind of had the you could see his collar going up pretty yeah. much even though he didn't have one he yeah. just became him I
1: don't know if, if Rory said, tried this line with you and he came in he says you know I'm not like Ross myself but he is <laughs> he you know he's is. from he's from Kaliny. <laughs> he went to a rugby playing school I think he may have been the captain of CBC Monkstown um, Come on, like- you know it's not a great rugby playing school, but it's a rugby <laughs> playing school, um, and and you know he he is he is the walking, talking embodiment. Mm. Not all the time. I mean, he doesn't have Ross's obnoxiousness or any of his uh, nasty personality God, quirks. Yeah. He's a lovely guy, but um, I I don't think. I don't think he needs to go into like six weeks of method acting mm. before he stands on the stage and performs Ross. I say he
0: can't go anywhere. I say he can't even go for a pint without being harassed by somebody. Yeah, He's done it so long now. I, I think now. he
1: does get people saying to him. It's funny, I, I after the last show, after the final uh, performance in when it closed in November... Um, I was talking to Gareth Lombard, the actor, and Gareth like Rory, they're from the same generation. There's this really fantastic golden generation of actors in Ireland and Gareth is part of that. And he he reminded me that he auditioned for the part of Ross back in the day. Mm-hmm. And he said I was doing he said I was doing the part uh, for the audition and he said about halfway through I realised I was doing an impersonation of Rory Nolan.
0: Oh <laughs> <laughs> way, well, that's a compliment.
1: So, so he he said to Anne Clark, the producer, you know. Uh, afterwards, he said, "You know, are you seeing Rory Nolan for this part?" And uh, she said, "Yeah, he's coming in next." And he said, "Okay, goodbye then."
0: <laughs> and the rest knew. is history. He
1: just knew, and I knew. And Rory came in, and and when he read for the part, he he memorized this monologue. He committed this thing to memory of as a a scene from a Ross book, and he just ranted it across the bar. It was Maureen's bar at the back of the Olympia Theater, yes, yeah, no and man. I knew. Instantly, I was looking at Ross or Carl Kelly straight away. So with this show, he had um, standing ovations every single night. It was 19 performances and every performance ended with a standing ovation because it's a one man show and because he plays all of the parts. He play he My does gosh. the voices of his dad, his mother, his daughter. His daughter as a child as a teenager and as an adult and he just he just nails it. So I'm really happy it's coming back because more people are going to get a chance to to see just how good he is.
0: Oh well, I know and it's coming back in April, 9th to 14th, just for the one week only.
1: Yeah, it's a week it's seven performances altogether. Okay. Um and re- really that's because we you know Rory's just so busy. And and like I said, we're fortunate to get him for, for the week.
0: Well, I would if I were you and you want to see the show. Look, get your tickets now. They start at €22, Euro, which is great value. And uh, you'll be going to see and laughing in April. I've, I've, I've seen you say before that you love to hear people laughing at your material, which obviously makes sense. Yeah. Uh, why wouldn't you as a comedy writer? Yeah. Do you sneak in the back of every performance just, just listen to the? I'd do that like, if I were you.
1: I don't like. Unfortunately, I sneak in the front.
0: <laughs> okay, <laughs> and well, yeah, here it's your my, prerogative. My
1: wife has to tell me sometimes, you know, like because I laugh. I'm, I, I go to my shows and I laugh, and and it seems really, really conceited thing to do to sit there laughing your head off at your own material. But it's actually the way Rory tells yeah. it, you know. And when I write, when I wrote this play, when I write all of the Ross plays, I'm, I'm sitting alone in an office in Wicklow, in my house, and and, and You're it, you not know,
0: even in South Dublin. That's no, not to, even that's in South Dublin. So no, I have to go outside, you know.
1: <laughs> and I couldn't afford to live in South Dublin, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah. I sit there in the office and I write these scripts and you never really know what's funny until you sort of take it into the room. So I, I, this particular play, I wrote it last spring, and we read it uh, sitting around a table, the director and the lighting director and uh, the, the producer and all sorts of people were sitting around a table and Rory started reading it for the first time. And then you start to hear where the laughs are. But what happens between the, in the transition period between us reading it at the table and him putting it in front of uh, an audience is just truly extraordinary. What, what he and Jimmy Fay, the director, do... Um, to 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 make it ready for the stage, that's what I'm laughing at. You know, mm. I'm I'm laughing at jokes. I remember writing that joke, and you know, there's a thousand people around me in the theatre. Laughing at the way Rory tells it, it is really, really exhilarating. You know, uh, I've never it's heard terrifying as well. Oh, it must be
0: you're 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 putting yourself out there.
1: Well, worse, you're putting somebody else out there. You well, know? With, yes, with your material. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so you know, I don't really sleep for a for maybe a week or two before a show. Like I'd sleep maybe three or four hours a night, and I'm just worried that a joke. I have these recurring dreams, you know that that a joke will it's fall the, it's flat like or a all show. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I have those. That. And then, and of course, I don't need to worry because Rory steps out there and he just has the audience instantly, you know. There, when he steps out on the stage, people start, sh- <laughs> have been shouting, you're a legend! And before he's even opened his mouth, Brilliant. like, you know. And, you want. Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: So if you're when you're at home in Wicklow writing these these mm. things and the phone rings do you, do you pick it up or do you answer it as as like are you in the <laughs> middle of do you come out with this voice inadvertently?
1: almost yeah his voice yeah his voice resides in my head all the time and it, and it, and it's and it's hellish i do forget how to <laughs> talk to people because i used to work in a in an office uh, environment i used to work in the sunday tribune and i would kind of i work long days sometimes 12 14 hour days in the sunday tribune especially when we were in production uh and and it's very disconcerting then to to go to a situation where you don't talk to anyone all day of course and sometimes Mary rings me at lunchtime when she's on her lunch break, and she says "You've forgotten how to talk, I c- actually can't speak you know because <laughs> I've got conversations going on in my head." That I have to finish before I can talk to a real person, <laughs> and um, yeah, if you and those voices. a writer voices, be worried about you, yeah, yeah, And those voices are in that South Dublin, awful, obnoxious. They have um, to be, voice. I suppose,
0: to write because yeah. it's the same when you're reading it in the Times on a Saturday. Like, it's not like other things you kind of flick through and half look, and you're half look at the baby and the dog, and I. You kind of need to focus on Rory because yeah. you're not going to get the uh, the full. Value out of it if you don't do the voice yourself. In yeah, your head.
1: yeah, and I, and I find the toughest thing is getting the voice out of my head. You know, getting the,
0: <laughs> are you getting... haunted by Rory or Ross or Carol Kelly? Uh,
1: yeah, but haunted in a nice way. You know, he's kind of uh, you know I I uh, I've grown to like the character a lot over the years. You know, when I started writing him first, I I really wanted people to hate the character. I really did, and and then I I, I started warming to him myself and thinking actually he's not such a bad after all And
0: that was 20 years ago this year
1: Yeah 20 years ago in January I wrote the first wow. the very first Ross column and the first play was The Last Days of the Celtic Tiger Yeah And that was 10 years ago that was 2007 when when the Celtic Tiger was still going like it was people say God, you must have known something, did you? That None of the, no, 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 the Econom Snoop, but I had no idea. It was just a funny title. <laughs> just
0: looking. And but this is what worries me now. And any fan of Ross O'Carroll Kelly might be worried as well because this new play, Postcards from the Ledge, it's it's fast forwarded in time. Yeah. Ross is turning about to turn 50 and he's yeah. kind of revisiting childhood issues and things yeah. like that. But yeah. well, if you keep going forward, what is it? the next he play going to be, be his funeral or something? You see,
1: the problem is we can't age reverse Rory Nolan. That's essentially
0: yeah. Damn it, Rory. I, the one thing you can't do.
1: I wish we could make him twenty-two again. Yeah. You know, but no. The, the idea of doing of doing this show was um, we we wanted to set it in the set in the future just to see what the to find out what the characters are like. Mm. Uh, when they're older, so in the last play, which is Breaking Dad, Honor was a teenager, mm. and I think once you go with that, mm. you have to go older no, the go next back, time as yeah. well. So what we did uh, with the, with this and the, the the setup is, um, it's the day of Honor's wedding, and she's about to walk up the aisle with a guy called Greg, who Ross does not approve of. Of course, and because uh, as as he says at the beginning, you know, I I was terrified that my daughter would end up with someone like me. But what I didn't realise was she could do a hell of a lot worse. And
0: Isn't that every dad's thoughts?
1: Yeah. And and also the fact that he was every parent's nightmare when he was a teenager. And the fact that now he has to contend with all of those things that those parents had to contend with when various boys come to the house. But this particular man really is the wrong man for her. So he's determined not to go to the wedding. So on the morning of the wedding, he's working for uh, the estate agent hook, line and sinker. And he goes out to, uh, he's called out to put a valuation on a property, 22 Glenagiri Crescent, which, as it sounds, is in the middle of Sally Mm Noggin. And (laughs) when he gets there, he realises it's his childhood home. He realises it's the, the house he spent the first 10 years of his life in just before his dad became mysteriously wealthy overnight and they moved to Fox Rock. This Mm -hmm. was his Sally knocking home. So he he kind of goes on this journey of remembrance. Yes, exactly. That (laughs) brings out a lot of childhood trauma that connects with a lot of the stuff he's going through now as his daughter is about to walk up the aisle. And the question is, will he go to the wedding after all?
0: I've talked about this with comedians before. There always has to be some element of, well, obviously truth, but, but there's always has to be serious or something in comedy to make it, I don't know, m- more believable or something. Even though yeah. you're laughing, like you're saying there, there's trauma and tragedy and coming back to, to Ross. Like, are we, are we crying at this play or is it just laughter? There's, yeah, there's tears,
1: you know, oh. there's a, there were a lot of people crying. Um, uh, in fact, <laughs> virtually everybody around me—the uh, <laughs> few times I saw it—was crying. Yeah, yeah. It, there's, there are tears. There's lots of laughter. Don't worry. It yeah. isn't. It isn't. You know that they're, they're not. They're not t- tragic tears. They're. They're kind You're of ah oh, tears. You know, they're are, t- they're emotional tears. Are people
0: are afraid to tell you stories or talk to you because they're afraid they'll either become characters or their story will end up in print someday. Yeah. Because you obviously these are <laughs> real life situations. Spun a little, I'm sure. I but do. I
1: but, see I'm terrible because I I put stories in my books without asking people. Of course, right. Yeah. So somebody'll tell me something and sometimes I won't really remember. Uh, wh- where I heard it but it'll be a funny story or what I'll do is I'll say I must ask him can I use that story uh, a friend of mine might tell me a story I must ask him can I use that story but sure I'll write it in the meantime and then my bo- I write my books a year in advance mm-hmm. so it, the, by the time the next book comes out I've totally forgotten and then it might be two or three years before a friend might read it and so I say here hang on a second no, that's no. very similar to something that happened no, to me no, no, nothing so to you. No. I do it all the time I, I must- met um, I met Maeve Binchy when I was about 15 and I was trying to become a, I wanted to become a writer. I was still at school and she did a talk for aspiring um, writers in Dunleary Shopping Centre. And uh, I remember it was, there wasn't a huge number of people turned up, but there's about 10 of us. And she just said, oh, everybody just come up and sort of sit around me. So we did. And she she explained her modus operandi to me of how she researched her books. And I wow. just said, that's how you do it. You know, it was... So she met, what Maeve used to do was she used to bring uh, either a notebook or a dictaphone out with her and she would record...
0: Just always uh, switched people's on. ...people's
1: conversations. Yeah. yeah. Um Often scrib, just scribbling notes. And she said, if you want to be a good writer, you have to be a good listener. That's mm. the most important thing if you want to be a good writer. And she said, listen to conversations... And not the sort of scripted conversations you hear on television mm. or on radio. Listen to real, real conversations. People. The politics of the conversation. Who's dominating? Who's putting their view across more forcefully? Yeah. Who's more passive? I'm a bit of a psychologist really, aren't you? Yeah. She wa- she wa- Maeve was really extraordinary. And, it, you know, it's no... She was such an intuitive person as well. It's no coincidence she was able to write the books that she was. Um, and so, yeah, so that really everything... Uh, it, especially in those early Ross Carl Kelly books where he's at school and college everything really happened just not to me it ha- they, those things happened to other people And you're
0: never saying who uh,
1: Some of them I don't know them I overheard them on the 46A <laughs> See you've got to be careful when you're out in the public Paul Howard will
0: be lurking behind you on the bus To a much lesser extent that happens in my life because Marty Miller does Morning Glory here on Nova and we're married Mm. so anything that happens in our life I have to actually stop down and go do not talk about this on the radio (laughs) depending on the situation or you can say that bit but just don't say that bit So, but obviously, it's real life. you have to just yeah. go with the flow that's yeah, fair enough. exactly and um, you again, as we were saying, twenty seventeen has been a big year the book operation trump's formation do you yeah. do you know you've something in common with you too? You both put projects aside when that fella got elected to power and yeah. redid them yeah them their last album that just came out last week, and yeah. you with the book you, did, did that really happen? you just said, oh it God, did here, back yeah, to the I tore word. it up
1: and started again, and I knew I was going to have to as well um i I write my books. I'm writing next year's book, which will come out next September. I'm writing it at the moment. And usually this time of year, I'm just finishing. Mm-hmm. So when the, the Operation Trump transformation was about 10 chapters long and Trump was elected, I think when I was maybe eight chapters into it. And at the end, I try to keep my books topical. Like I always like to, yeah. you know, Celtic Tiger and then Return to the Economy and all that. I always like to bring these things into the books and anything that's sort of happening politically at oh, the time. There's a lot to
0: work with lately, yeah. isn't there?
1: So, tr- So the Trump thing happened and I had this plan that Charles was going to, he had this wig that he put on his head and <laughs> he was going to become this right wing politician with all these really extreme views like, he thinks that women should be forced to reset their driving tests every twelve months this to prove their competence to drive. Unfortunately,
0: this, this nothing seems impossible anymore. Well, this is what scares and us. That's a,
1: you, you know, it's satirical, but sometimes reality is actually beyond satire. It's Where's beyond the phone, its that reach. Now? Like, you know,
0: satire is becoming more.
1: Yeah, and the other. So the other thing was he wanted to build this wall around Cork um, <laughs> to. To, uh, which I've discovered since. Cork people actually think it's a great idea because it'll keep troubling people out. Um, of course they do. But, but, so I fi- so I'd, I'd finished it and it was last Christmas and I had a sense that I hadn't really captured what was happening. You know, I just had a sense that I'd missed. And we went, so I went away for Christmas and after Christmas I, I was in Australia for a couple of weeks. I was visiting some family there. And I just had this moment. I was in Melbourne, and I just had this moment. I said, "I want to go home and rip it up and start again." Mm. And I'm I'm really lucky. I've got I've got a great publisher in Penguin, and just a fantastic editor in Rachel Pierce. And um, if I say to Rachel Pierce, "I want to rip the entire book up and burn it and write 120,000 new words," she will say, "Great, go for it." But <laughs> like you know that that, mm. that, that it was that nobody said to me, "Yeah, but your deadline is already passed." Mm, mm. They said. It's more important to get a book that's right, so it nearly killed me. Like I died, I I died writing that book. You must have, uh, but I'm I'm really happy with it. You know, it's it's it, you know I I mean I, I insofar as I'm a judge, I can be a judge of my own work. I think it's the strongest the strongest Ross book I've written.
0: Well, I mean, as we say, like reality is just handing stuff on a platter to comedy writers now, isn't it? Unfortunately, yeah. I do love. Uh, I know that I know the initials were already in place before Trump came along, but let's just reiterate: Charles O'Carroll Kelly. Yeah. Just leave that <laughs> leave that hang in the ether for a minute. That's all we need to do.
1: Yes, Donald Trump is a little bit of a Charles oh, O'Carroll isn't Kelly as he well. is Just. Isn't it? Yeah. But, well, we could be here
0: talking about him all day. <laughs> the Russell O'Carroll Kelly statue, actually, before I let you go, where is that now? It's in. It's on permanent
1: display in the little museum of Dublin. Ah. Uh, okay. On Stephen's Green. Trevor that, White's fantastic museum up on the on Stephen's Green, Green there. Yeah. And it's just as you go up the stairs, he's pointing, giving you the guns. Of course he is, and brilliant. it's a fantastic statue. It was in Eason's. It might be in Eason's on O'Connell Street right now, but it will be going back to the, the little Lidl museum. Thing. I noticed recently um, that people have been rubbing its foot for luck um Life. Like, well, in Saint, in, uh, in St. Peter's Basilica in, in the Vatican, yes. uh, there's a statue of St. Peter and you rub his foot for luck and people have rubbed his foot for luck so much that the, the, that the bronze has actually started to away. wear away. But it's also happened with the Ross statue as well. <laughs> But God, it, that, it's, it's actually, it looks like it's bronze, but it's made of paper mache and <laughs> plaster. But what's happened is as people have been rubbing the foot, uh, the plaster is worn away, exposing the fact that he's wearing real doobs. I was so impressed oh, when I saw it. There's um, a, a, a model maker called uh, Robert Clark, who's... Alan Clark's brother. Alan Clark illustrates all of the Ross books and the posters and everything. He's been drawing them from day one. But his bro- brother Robert makes models for movie sets. Brilliant. Uh, and he made, he made the, the Ross model.
0: It's not. It's not quite a model. It's he's, a sta- nearly, he's nearly yeah. under there. I mean,
1: it's it's eight foot tall. You know, it's uh, And I did a photo shoot with it recently, and I had to wheel it down Grafton <laughs> Street, and it it drew drew quite a crowd. Was say, there's no there's no way to be incognito
0: when you're wheeling your character's statue down Grafton Street. Uh, if you had to choose between, because Ross, as we say, twenty years or almost in January, yeah. you and Ross, yeah, together as one. He's in your head all the time, as you said, always. Do you, do you kill him off eventually? How does it work? do? You
1: know how it's going to end. I don't know if I would ever do anything as gratuitous as kill him. I mean, I like him too much. There, there may come a day when I I decide, you know, does the world world need another Rosalind Kelly book? Um, but okay, I, you I know what? I I enjoy doing it so much. I I, I really love writing these books and. Um, I'm doing. I'm writing the next one at the moment, so there will definitely be one more. I know you that for sure. It just disappear,
0: though. I mean, you'd have to have an ending of sorts early. Yeah, I don't. You know, I read a lot of um,
1: any sort of long-running series. I'm always interested in in what the author has to say. Yeah. Like, so I'm a huge fan of the of PG Woodhouse's. Um, Books, especially the the Jeeves the Jeeves and Worcester Jackson, series. Yeah. Um and you know, there was a cartoonist in America, she she did the Kathy cartoons for thirty-seven years and she stopped two years ago. And I was reading this heartbreaking interview with her where she was talking about the reason she decided to stop and what the change is gonna make for her life mean for her life. And as I read it, I just kept thinking, that's going to be me one day. One day it's I will looming. have to come to that decision and I will feel just as sad. And I was filling up reading this interview mm-hmm. thinking, how do you say goodbye to something that Pick has twice. been part of your life for yeah. so long? But I love. I mean, the fortunate thing for me is that all these years later, I still enjoy doing it as much as I did at the very, very beginning, probably more. So I think as long as there are things happening in the world that I want to write about, I think I'd like to continue writing about them through the prism of this... South Dublin rugby jock who's inhabited my head for the last 20 years Well
0: I don't think things will stop happening I don't think we'll stop wanting to read what you write and see what you write when it's on stage in the Gaiety as we say Postcards from the Ledge is coming back April 9th to 14th to the Gaiety Tickets from 22 Euro Get yours now You will not be disappointed seeing Rory Nolan How many paychecks does this guy get? Because how many parts does he do but 20 <laughs> odd
1: Well he does I mean he does dip all these parts but also at, at different ages their lives and also different sort of emotional jumps he has to make. You know, he's to be sad for one moment, then he's got to be happy, then he's got to be melancholic, and then he's got to be reflective and keep the audience laughing for two hours which he does I mean Fantastic. the laughs just never stop he's an absolute marvel
0: I, I Listen I've met him and I definitely would believe that and of course Operation Trump's formation in all good bookshops now and you can read Russell Carroll Kelly every week in the Irish Times on a Saturday Before I let you go Paul we do this uh, every time we have a special guest in studio oh, Obviously right. we're here to play music here at Radio Nova Is okay. there anything in particular you want to hear? I was thinking maybe the Beatles for obvious reasons you know you wrote that story of the, yeah. the Guinness Air, the very tragic story Tara Brown Yeah, um, that was from what day in the life.
1: A day in the life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I love a day in the life. If you could play the day in the life, I would, I would love that. Yeah.
0: I, I, I'd far be it for me to put words in Paul Howard's mouth, but if you want to hear that song, <laughs> I will certainly play it for you. But if
1: you're going to play a Christmas song, uh, play Wham's Last Christmas. It's Wham's my Last favorite, Christmas, my favorite Christmas song,
0: with the cheesiest video of all time. Oh yeah. yeah. No wonder she broke up with him. Did you just <laughs> see the state of that brooch? Thanks. It for was a shocking. Paul, it, was it was a shocking present. It was yeah. the eighties. I mean, come on. Thanks for joining. <laughs> Thanks,
1: us Thanks, Dee.